Spring is in full swing and summer is just around the corner. A great time for a beach getaway at the Oceanfront Boardwalk Plaza Hotel in Rehoboth Beach, Delaware. Enjoy the best of oceanfront accommodations and amazing dining right on the beach, both with great views of the ocean and boardwalk. Enjoy a soak in the heated indoor spa pool or book the adults-only concierge level and relax in the rooftop hot tubs. Book online at boardwalkplaza.com or call 800-33 beach thanks to the boardwalk plaza for being the bridge podcast network sponsor story jumpers welcome to another episode of your favorite storytelling podcast are you ready to hear a great story of course that's why you're a story jumper megan willis's search for her parents will put her in more danger than she ever imagined can she survive the hazards she faces and reunite with her family before it's too late? This fast-paced YA space opera, reminiscent of Star Wars, follows a strong female character, Megan, on an interplanetary search for her mother. On her journey, Megan witnesses the horrors of child trafficking and slavery and joins with a group of other teens to fight against corrupt systems and stand up for the vulnerable. Enjoy this reading of Search for the Astral Dragon by Brian Davis. The spaceship shuddered with a telltale rattle. We were nearing the end of the wormhole, and time was running out, probably less than an hour left until we landed. I pulled the chain attached to my shackled ankle, holding the hefty links with both hands and pushing with my legs against the wall with all my might. As I strained, something creaked. I stopped tugging and crawled close to the wall next to my flimsy cot. Barely visible in the dimness, the chain's wall bracket was slightly bent, maybe a couple of millimeters more than yesterday. I was getting closer. But how much longer would it take? This morning might hold my last chance to escape execution. At the ceiling, the tiny spy camera's flashing blue light rotated toward me silent compared to the ship's gravity engine hum. I released the chain and reclined on my cot, stretching my arms as I pretended to be waking up. A half dozen lights blinked on the opposite wall, some red, some green. Apparently my wakefulness had been noticed by the ship's computer. Emerson, I said as I sat up on the cot and blinked, feigning bleary eyes. What time is it? Emerson replied from speakers embedded in the ceiling his voice realistic in cadence, though still somewhat mechanical. It is 528, Megan. You are not scheduled to awaken for 32 minutes. I shook the chain's links. Tell the captain he should try sleeping chained to a wall. Captain Tillman's habits are not relevant. According to my database, a girl your age needs at least 8.2 hours of sleep. You should to blazes with your database. I touched the two-inch-wide metal collar that encircled my neck and slid it off the burn inflicted by the quartz interrogator, still sensitive even after five months. Does your blasted database say to put a dog collar on a girl my age and zap her with electric shocks? Does it say to work her 14 hours a day like a whipped mule and then chain her to a wall at night? Does it say to feed her barely enough pig slop and dishwater to keep her alive for another day of slave labor? Negative, but my database does indicate that your vocabulary level and oratory skills are greatly advanced for a teenager who was reared by pirates. I scowled. Freedom fighters, you mean? 
I am merely using the terms provided by... Oh, go reboot yourself. I let out a loud huff and sat on the cot with my sock-covered feet on the metal floor, the shackle chafing my ankle. Some freedom fighter I was. I couldn't even free myself. Instead, death stalked ever closer. In a few hours, the captain would leave the Nebula 9 to search for his kidnapped son, following up on a report that Oliver might be on Delta 98 as a prisoner of slavers there, members of a race called Geradians. Landing on that planet would offer my first opportunity to escape since I had been captured. But if the captain decided to follow the judge's orders to the letter, he might execute me before setting out to find Oliver, probably using his remote to deliver a lethal shock to my collar. To save my life, I had to get off the ship as soon as we landed. Thinking about that awful shock made me cringe. The pain would be horrible, ghastly. Yet the shock would finally end my torture, and I could join my father in the heavens, living in eternal comfort with the astral dragon, the deity he believed in with all his heart, one he had even named his ship after. At least I hoped I would go to such a wonderful place. If my parents' beliefs were true, and an afterlife really existed, maybe there we could find justice. This galaxy was surely void of it. Tears crept to my eyes. A sob threatened. Fighting it off, I took a deep breath and steeled myself. I couldn't give up. I had to be the fighter my parents taught me to be. I had to escape and find my mother. Yet to do that, I needed to know the captain's plans to the minute, and I needed to get my hands on that remote. Maybe I could trick Emerson into giving me a clue. I looked at the flashing lights on the wall. Emerson, what's on my chore list today? Nothing. The list is empty. Empty? Hot prickles ran down my back. Trying to shake them off, I laughed under my breath. Um, <laughs> Emerson, that's impossible. After a planet landing, there are tons of maintenance checks to do. Lots of stuff can shake loose during atmosphere entry. Dion and Dirk are scheduled to perform routine maintenance duties. I furrowed my brow. Dirk? Why him? He's just a scullery boy. He is also listed as a computer technician. He will be helpful to Dion. But I'm her assistant. Does the duty list say anything about me at all? I am authorized to give you public postings, nothing more. What? You can't even tell me my own assignments? Negative. Your security access has been terminated. Terminated? Like a cold wind, the interrogator's threats return to mind. If you don't tell us where it is, you will be terminated. Captain Tillman is under strict orders to execute you if you refuse to reveal your secrets. I swallowed hard, feeling the collar's pressure against my throat. Why was it terminated? A reason was not entered in the termination record. So I just sit here in the dark all day? Negative. Shielded bulbs in the ceiling flashed on, giving light to my little corner in the bowels of the ship. The cot with a tied-down pillow against one wall served as my bed, and a shower and vacuum toilet against another wall gave me a place to do my personal business. Removable panels filled most of the remaining wall space, providing access to storage or to shafts that led to nearly every part of the ship. A slight stinging sensation ran along my arms and calf muscles. I looked at the network of conductive ink on the inner portions of my forearms and legs, surgically imprinted parallel to the nerves underneath. Electrical fields from the lights had activated the ink, causing the sting. Not bad, 
No more than a tingle that I barely noticed anymore. As long as the captain wasn't wielding his remote, my full bladder gave me a hard pinch. I glanced again at the still-blinking, still-rotating camera. Emerson, I need some privacy. Acknowledged. The camera's light turned off. Thanks, but I can't get dressed yet. Is someone going to unlock me at six like usual, even though I'm grounded? I cannot answer that question. Your security access has been terminated. Yeah, you said that. I'm not deaf. Then simple logic should have instructed you not to ask the question. I heaved a loud sigh. Listen, genius, the chain's long enough for me to do my business in the pot, but I can't put my pants on. Do you get that? It's simple human anatomy. Acknowledged. You have 15 minutes of privacy. Great, but I still can't put my pants on. Grumbling to myself, I focused on a wall panel that led into the ship's hull space. The shaft the panel concealed might be my best chance to get away and hide, but it was useless unless I could get the ankle shackle off. After using the toilet, I sat on the floor with my feet braced once more against the wall and both hands again clutching the chain. I pulled and pulled while glancing at the ladder leading up to the bridge level, hoping not to see the captain's shiny black boots tromping down the rungs and my caller's remote control unit in his hand. As I pulled, the bracket bent a millimeter farther, though still not enough. I kept pulling. What choice did I have? It was either break free or die. Footsteps sounded from the level above. I let go of the chain and sat on my cot, trying to settle my racing heart as I stared at the ladder. Yet no one descended. Breathing a sigh of relief, I stood and looked at the dormant camera. Wasting my privacy time on a stubborn bracket probably wasn't the best idea. I stripped off my knee-length night jersey, exposing a pair of loose shorts, a white singlet undershirt, my locket at the end of a leather cord, and the brand on my upper arm, a fierce dragon, the Alliance's symbol for piracy, infused with purple ink to make it show clearly. The ugly scar always drew my eyes toward it. Even after five months of healing, I could still hear my skin sizzling as the red-hot iron burned into soft flesh to make its court-ordered mark. Wincing, I tore my gaze away from the brand. Those monsters would pay for their cruelty. Someday. I set the locket on my palm and opened the clasp for the thousandth time. My mother and father, Anne and Julian Willis, gazed at me from a browning, wrinkled photo taken four years ago. They were happy then. So was I. But now? How could I be happy? My father was probably dead, and as far as I knew, my mother was in prison or awaiting execution somewhere. It was always risky to check on her. Yet today, I really needed to know. After glancing at the dormant camera once more, I snapped the locket closed and set my thumb against the locket's back. Its embedded thumbprint reader activated, and the secret lead-lined cover popped open, revealing a tiny ruby a dragon's eye. The gem glowed red. Fresh tears blurred my vision. My mother was still alive. But for how much longer? Prisoners found guilty of piracy rarely survived long enough to complete their sentences. I closed the locket and whispered, Mama, somehow I'm going to get you out. I just have to find where they're holding you. Story Jumpers, can you imagine turning 13 on a ship bound for Delta 98 and facing execution like Megan, who must decide whether to give up her secrets to save her own life? Well, that's just the case here, and we're joined by the author of Search for the Astral Dragon, Brian Davis. Brian, it's great to see you again. 
Well, it's great to be here again. Thank you for inviting me. We really enjoyed you on Story Jumpers the last time, and I'm so glad that you brought us another exciting story, this time set in space. That's right. Uh, it's always been, uh, I always wanted to go on adventures. When I was young, being an astronaut was something most of the kids wanted to be someday. So now I get to do it in my mind with the stories. Well, you've given us a good one here. And you, you mentioned being a boy and wanting to be an astronaut. I think I felt the same way, too. I think a lot of guys did. And I'm sure a bunch of gals do, too. And now it's even more possible, you know, to follow that dream of becoming an astronaut. There's so many ways that we're going to space now. But I have a question for you. As a boy, did you have any favorite sci-fi heroes or favorite space creatures that you loved? Well, when I was a boy, we always watched uh, Lost in Space. That was a fun sci-fi with space travel. And uh, the, the Will Robinson was the boy that everybody wanted to be in that show. And that was a lot of fun. Also, uh, not as much space, but still sci-fi was the time tunnel and going all these different times and adventures. That was fun, too. Science fiction is great for the imagination. So lots of kids like to go there. Yeah, I love sci-fi. It can raise a lot of interesting questions that we're wrestling with as a society or with problems that we're trying to solve through science and what, you know, questions that raises, you know, how do we solve these things so that we can still uh, get, get along in society? You know, you mentioned Lost in Space. That was an old TV series, which I loved, and they've actually revamped it. They brought it to Netflix. Have you seen any of those episodes yet? I have not, but I'm definitely going to have to check it out. Yeah, check it out. It's very exciting. They've got all the main characters, and of course, that snarky robot is back again. So, <laughs> <laughs> hey, let me ask how many books are planned for the Astral Alliance series? Well, I would like to write seven. Wow. Um, the publisher hasn't contracted all seven, and uh, but I have ideas that would stretch it to seven books. I think. Uh, Megan and her adventures through space could easily go seven books. So it's a lot of ideas in mind. Well, she starts out chained inside of a ship. You know, she's chained up when they don't need her to do work on the ship. When she's released, she's just basically, you know, their grunt worker who has to get everything done. And now she's facing execution. How dangerous does it get for Megan? It sounds dangerous to start with, but it gets even more dangerous. When she finally gets to this planet, there's a danger of people trying to make her a slave. Uh, and so she walks from one terrible danger to another, and it's her courage and intelligence that helps get her out of it. But all along the way, you're wondering, how is she going to get out of this mess? Well, that always makes for a really good story. So <laughs> I'm sure that the story jumpers are going to love it. You know, watching Megan squirm and try to figure her way out of a predicament. So I, I know they're going to love it. Let me ask something else here, Brian. A lot of your stories have a spiritual element, something that really touches the heart or guides us towards better living. How do science fiction stories inspire readers in their spiritual lives? Well, traditionally, science fiction has not pointed toward God as an answer for anything. They uh, they tend to show technology is the answer. And if we advance science far enough, uh, there isn't really a thought about God. And I wanted to put in a story that shows that science isn't the answer. Technology is a great help. It can get you far. But 
and when we run into dangers, we still have to look to God and uh, not just as a last resort, but as a first resort and hope that the technology at hand can help uh, you get through whatever predicament that you're in. And Megan has to learn that as she goes because she wasn't taught that uh, by her parents. And uh, she has some spiritual guidance through the story to teach her that you need to seek a higher power and not just the technology around you. Yeah, well, I think you have hit the nail on the head there. Um, there are so many times when it looks like our technology is going to be a great addition to our lives. And like every double-edged sword, from the first time man got their hands on fire, they could cook dinner or they could injure themselves. And it seems like technology always comes with that double-edged promise and threat. So you're right. God has got to be at the center of it and the starting point when we're talking about matters of personal, you know, personal salvation and then also lives that we live with other people. God has got to be right at the center of it so that we have good communication and relationships and, uh, and healthy lifestyles. And that has certainly been my focus in all my books. Some of my stories have more overt Christianity salvation message. Some are uh, more subtle. And this one has started out subtle so far, but uh, it, it becomes clearer as the story goes on. So there's another really famous uh, sci-fi trilogy. Um, it was just nicknamed the Space Trilogy. Um, but this comes from way back by C.S. Lewis. And you might remember C.S. Lewis wrote The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe and that whole series of fantasy books. He also wrote The Space Trilogy. Have you ever read any of those? Yes, I have. Out of the Silent Planet and then Paralandra, which was my favorite of the three. And then That Hideous Strength. Um, all three are enjoyable books. The uh, Paralandra just knocked my socks off. I've, I've uh, borrowed themes from that multiple times. It was done so well. Very cool. C.S. Lewis was so prolific. What an incredible writer. And, you know, just to inspire us so that we can tell these stories too, you know, it's amazing. Okay. Very serious question here, Brian. I want you to give this some thought now. Given the choice, which one futuristic space age object would you want to own and why? Luke Skywalker's green lightsaber in Star Wars, a babblefish which translates any spoken word into your native language from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, or the Enterprise's warp drive, which could bend space-time for faster-than-light travel in Star Trek. Well, it's funny you should ask that, because there are elements that are similar to all three of those in my story, especially the babble fish. It's not a fish, but it's a device that Megan puts into her ear and it allows her to understand what other creatures are saying, including a bird that chirps and a very intelligent bird that helps her along the way. She also develops uh, the ability to give electrical shocks like a lightsaber, but these uh, bracelets that she has on her wrists, she uses them as a weapon and her ship has warp drive. So it's uh, uh, all three are there. But I think if I had to have the, any of those, I would probably go with the battlefish. I just wouldn't want it to be a fish because that would be kind of slimy <laughs> on the face. Uh, being able to communicate with other, other beings would be a real benefit. 
that would be that would make life a lot easier out in the cosmos, wouldn't it? Yes. Well, Brian, I really appreciate you joining us once again. Will you please come back with more of the uh, the Astral Alliance series or even Dragons in Our Midst? Uh, you're such a prolific writer. I I can't wait to share more of your stories with the Story Jumpers. I'd be glad to. Looking forward to it. And not only stories that you've written, but you also encourage young writers. Is that correct? Yes, I do writing classes. I have a book on writing called Write Them In. Uh, I go to conventions where I do seminars. It's uh, something I do a lot of. Well, very cool. We'll be sure to link to your website so that those young writers can find out more about what you teach. And also, anybody interested in science fiction stories, fantasy stories, and more can check out everything that you've published. Brian, thanks so much for joining us again. You're welcome. It was a pleasure. Parents, Search for the Astral Dragon is book one of the Astral Alliance series by Brian Davis. This story is full of unusual characters and daring escapes. Search for the Astral Dragon draws readers into a world of snarky spaceship computer systems, a variety of different sentient species, spaceship tech, and magical elements. Megan is smart and quick-thinking competent with spacecraft technology and a person of strong character whose experiences give readers difficult questions to consider. Brian Davis is the author of nine different best-selling fantasy, adventure, and mystery series suitable for your entire family. To date, he has written 35 novels, along with various nonfiction works and children's books, with total sales reaching more than one million copies. He lives in western Tennessee with his wife Susie, where they homeschool their four girls and three boys. His passion for the written word, reading, and writing has taken many forms and explored multiple genres, including theology, fiction, devotionals, poetry, and humor. Learn more about his writing at daviscrossing.com and on Amazon.